five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey, space enthusiasts. I sat down with Nicola Peter, who is a long-term veteran of ASA, the European Space Agency, having worked in the Director General's office, among other roles. He also currently serves as Professor of Space Policy and International Affairs at the International Space University, and he's also ISU's head of their new Space Policy and Entrepreneurship Lab. We discuss a wide range of topics, including Europe's role in space, space entrepreneurship, and ISU. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple, so more people can find it. Thank you. You can also follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. As usual, here are a couple of short messages from our sponsors and partners. Then please enjoy my conversation with Nicola Peter. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. Well, hello again, everybody. My guest this week is Nicola Peter, who is a professor of space policy and international affairs at my most recent alma mater, the International Space University. Welcome, Nicola. Thank you, Rafael. And, and Nicola, I give you basically most recent title here as a professor at ISU, but you've actually done quite a few space-related things in, in your life. Do you want to give us the short sort of summary of your of your bio? Yes, yes, uh, you're right. I, um, I, I've, I've done quite of different things in, in the past years. So uh, after 20, year uh, 20 years of experience in the space sector in eight countries and uh, four continents, but most, like, most, most recently in Europe, where I'm originally from ESA, the European Space Agency, and I'm seconded at uh, ISU to work on, in the field of uh, space policy and, and entrepreneurship, and I hope we will be able to talk about that. Um, but before that, I was head of uh, intention relations at DLR, the German Aerospace Center. So for the whole organization doing space, but also other topics, very interesting, such as aeronautics, energy, transport, security, digitalization. I was also um, before the European Commission helping uh, in the space policy domain and, and work on the, on the space strategy. Uh, and before that, at uh, ESA in, in the service of the DG and in, in the cabinet. But also, um, I'm like you. An ISU uh, alumni, which is I'm very proud of, and also of uh, George Washington University in the US, where I went there to, to study uh, space policy and work at the Space Policy Institute for two years. So, so mm -hmm. I would say one leg in the US and one leg in Europe. Which is quite a useful thing to, to do in space, I think. <laughs> it's the same for myself, to be quite honest. So let's delve into some of those worlds. Why don't we start with Europe? And I think we just actually had the European Space Conference. I actually meant to attend online, but there's so many things going on. Did, did, did you go? Yeah, I, I followed online and um, it's, it's uh, one of the few uh, of such conferences I have not attended, uh, but uh, because of the pandemic, I, I didn't go. I followed mm -hmm. online. Very interesting. Very interesting, high-level speakers, uh, Prime Minister of Belgium, uh, ministers, uh, commissioners, uh, ESA DG, heads of uh, space agency. Very, very interesting, but also 
well attended, uh, some good announcements, and I think people realize that uh, Europe is very dynamic. So uh, it, it was a lot of interesting uh, discussions. Any sort of key takeaways you would say? Well, um, it's it's really the the confirmation that Europe uh, really want to to be uh, even more active and and take stock of, of the changing space context. Uh, on one hand, the European Commission announced a, a couple of initiatives, for instance, the Cassini Fund, and uh, which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, also, some some future development of the programs we will see in the in the next weeks with the uh, secure connectivity uh, initiative that's going to be launched, space traffic management, uh, but also the ESA with uh, the preparation of the ministerial. Some of the programs and activities, and it was very, very, very interesting. And also something that I'm very, very proud is the the award of the uh, Horizon Prize of 10 million euros for the mm-hmm. cost access to space. Uh, this is mm-hmm. something very important and uh, for Europe, but also for me because I worked on uh, pushing the idea when I was at the Commission to put it and and launch it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy to see that it helped create. The embryo of an of, of an industry because you had several companies uh, bidding for for the for the for this prize and it really shows also we have industry willing to compete to take risks to to get uh, to get that so congratulations uh, ISAR. That's right, ISAR Aerospace from Munich won it. I really I need to catch up with Daniel and get him onto the podcast. Uh, he promised he would come on sometime. Actually, one of the three finalists we have an episode from about a year ago with uh, with RFA uh, Rocket Factory. Augsburg. But I agree with you. It's 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 great to see that you have these uh, startup companies at, at an advanced stage, right? ISA may launch as soon as as the end of this year, I think. Yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting because it's, it really shows that uh, that there are different uh, companies willing to to get involved. PLD from Spain, also one of the finalists, but there mm-hmm. are different micro launchers also in Europe, uh, in France with uh, um, Venture Orbital Space. And it's, mm-hmm. very, it's very interesting. It's very dynamic. And I think this is good. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you one of these questions about um, one question about this conference because this is a conference that happens every year, and I assume most years you sort of accompany it or similar conferences in Europe. One of my complaints that I regularly have about space conferences that it's it's always the same people, and I love all of the people, but you, you know I think it's about time that we should see some new faces. You know, um, for like a for example for a conference of that stature in in Europe, I would love to see I don't know CEOs from big European companies getting interested in space. Do you see any anything of that kind yet? Well, in fact, you you are right. It's uh, the, the the conference is, is very well attended, but it's a space conference for space people. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, that's that's usually the the issue we have with the space community is that we are very well networked inside the space community, but not so much outside. That being said, there were a couple of uh, of newcomers, and one is uh, I'm very pleased to to see that uh, uh, Niklas Ninas, the MEP, Green MEP uh, from Germany, was there speaking mm-hmm. because it's it's good also to have. Um, uh, lawmakers, people from the European Parliament that can um, shape things and, and discuss, and, and that's very important. No, I think it, it's good, but I agree it would be good to have also some more people from the automotive sector coming there, mm-hmm. you know, talking uh, BMW, you know, the manufacturers or, or the users, because that begs the question, what is a space company? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, you know, people, it's not only about the the LSI, the, 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 the space startup, but uh, when we see that uh, 
Geely, uh, Chinese manufacturers, is building his own constellation of satellites for connectivity and navigation for its car fleet. Jane, John Deere, the agriculture giant. Yes. Uh, you know, Exxon, Exxon uh, Mobile, mm -hmm. the energy utility from the US that wants to have his own constellation of satellites mm -hmm. to monitor some of its activities. So there you really see that, okay, th there's a paradigm shift and we should reach out to these guys and not only to the supply chain, but more on the, on the, on the demand side, other ones that are very... Very dynamic. Oh, very, very much agreed. I mean, speaking of ISA, to be fair, shout out to Porsche who did invest in the most recent financing round of ISA. But yeah, I, I hope we're really only just scratching the surface, and there's, uh, there's so much potential in corporates working with with space um, companies, and it's I guess up to all of us in the space sector to welcome them with open arms and educate them and tell them about the benefits. But let's talk a little bit more about uh, beyond the conference about space in Europe, right? Because I mean, there's I, I think you would agree a lot of potential for the space sector in Europe. There's you know some proud heritage. Uh, you know, on, on the launch side and certainly on the scientific side of ASA have some really um, important and, and high-profile missions. But if you had to do sort of almost like a SWOT analysis, you know, like strength, weaknesses, uh, opportunities, threats of the European space sector, what, what would be some of the points you would highlight? Well, it's, it's, it's a good question. And, and uh, I'm, I'm afraid we will have a, we need a, a series of, of episodes of the podcast. <laughs> Separate episodes, yes. Totally. <laughs> But I think it's uh, it's important that uh, because the space context in Europe is very much evolving, it's moving plates, and with the increasing role of the of the European Commission, uh, certain member states willing to involve in different type of activities, ESA evolving as well. So there's a there's an evolution, and, and everyone needs to find its place and its role, uh, and there should not be unnecessary duplication. There should be more I would not say coordination, but at least. Um, discussion, exchange, and I think that, uh, especially in this year of uh, ministerial conference at ISA, where everyone needs to pull together if you really want to stand uh, a chance to compete, because it should not, uh, in Europe, we should do one plus one plus one equal uh, three, not two. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. try to, to increase the synergies and the opportunities, because the, the competition should not be inside Europe, but, you know, we, we, we have the U.S. that is shifting gear, there is today, in China, they released a new uh, white uh, space policy paper. Today, uh, right? Today, exactly. So mm -hmm. that's uh, so. So we have to see that things are moving. Mm -hmm. Things are moving, and, uh, and uh, Europe is moving. Uh, but now we need really the, to to go into the implementation with new programs, and that that will happen in, at the end of the year. So I think sometimes. Um... What I hear from entrepreneurs, and I can sort of sympathize with that, it's it's almost a bit confusing. Like there seem to be a lot of programs, many of which are good programs, right? But it's like, well, there's like different, including for funding and grants, I mean, right? There's like ESA stuff, now there's OISPA. I think many people don't even know what the, the difference between ESA and OISPA is. Then there's the sort of the local space agencies, right? So you know, there's DLR, or um, then you have the whole question, like if you're sitting in a country like the UK or Switzerland, you know, how does that fit in? Um, I don't know. Is there any sort of easy answers to that or guidance to entrepreneurs or is there anything happening on that front maybe as well to try to unify or to, to, to make, make this all less complex? Well, I, I don't think it, there, is, there will not be, there is not yet a real effort to unify because it's not possible because mm. you, know, you, you are an entrepreneur. So you know that you go in certain countries because of a specific ecosystem. Yes. Either because you know you can access to, to different type of financing from grants to, to debt and loan. Uh, you have the techni technological capabilities. You have um, uh, an agency that is uh, supporting you with uh, first customer contract or export uh, agencies. You might have patent facilities. All of that, that tax breaks and so on that make it very difficult. And um, 
in fact, if you are an entrepreneur right now, uh, I would really encourage them to, to think clearly where they want to go to position themselves, not in short term, but midterm, mm -hmm. where they want to be, where they want to, to grow, because depending on the segments you are, some of the other one might be more, uh, more dynamic and more supportive. And uh, also depending what type of uh, financial support they want. Uh, for me, a real entrepreneur is need to be to, uh, to look for private capital, not mm -hmm. necessarily just grants. So you you have to position it, uh, yourself very very uh, very strategically. And I think people, and uh, that's what we see at ISU, is that a lot of the people start to realize that they come to to us to talk to say, okay, where where should we go? Because space is global, but the footprint mm -hmm. is still local. If you want to develop tech. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess because space is global, one you know thing we have seen not only in space is that even if entrepreneurs start in Europe, uh, many of them end up in the U.S. for a variety of reasons, right? It's um, part of it is deeper capital pools, right? Especially at later stages. Part of it is, uh, I, I guess, it's true for the space sector. A lot of customers, uh, part of it, including the government, right? Um, yeah, you're, you're fully right because you know yesterday we had a new SPAC that was announced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we see one of the of the the, the most interesting uh, European company, and uh, that was on your show recently. Uh, you know, Luca, mm -hmm. and with the, the orbit, orbit, he's merging, mm -hmm. and um, and we will we'll go to uh, for his IPO once once the deal is concluded on on the Nasdaq. You know? that that shows that there are good companies. You know, Spire could be another one, another example, but they go where capital is, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. something. You know, Rafael. That, that's something maybe I, I would like to understand that uh, to explain to, to the audience is that we have to understand that what, okay, new space is it, very complex people. It means different things to different people. But what we understand as new space in Europe is not what new space in the US. If we are talking about new space in Europe, in the US is new space 2.0. Because in Europe, we are talking about having more money for venture capital. In the US, they are already beyond that. They, they are moving mm -hmm. from, you know, Sand Hill Road. And you know what I mean? Sure. So the famous street where VC is to Wall Street. Yes. So they are, they are shifting. The center of gravity is shifting from the West Coast to the East Coast in terms of money. While in Europe, we are still trying to, to find some some you know some decent sized VC firms, and we have good ones. But in the US, with the SPACs vehicle, it's very interesting to see that it's coming to the market with sums now, that, and that's why. That's what is dangerous for, for us in Europe. It's because what I call this new space 2.0 in the US, for me, it's about blitz scaling. Mm -hmm. They raise in six to eight months so much capital and the valuation, okay, it's the valuation. The valuation is so high that with the pipe and the proceedings and so on, they have enough cash to accelerate the development internal, but also external. And then you see mm -hmm. there are mm -hmm. certain more consolidation. Mm -hmm. And we know that the European companies, in terms of valuation, they are cheap. Mm -hmm. And that's where we will see in the upcoming months what are the consequences of, of these, you know, now soon 13 SPACs company with a lot of money mm -hmm. on the bank. And they need they need to, to use it. What will mean for Europe? So that's going to be the secondary effect of, of that. No, I fully agree with you. I mean, I guess I could say if I wear my head as a early stage venture capitalist, um, some of it could be good effects, at least at least for us, right? Because um, we already see some of these de-spacked companies, right, um, who uh, on average got like 
hundreds of millions of dollars of additional capital onto a balance sheet, right? Some of them have also have already started using that for add-on acquisitions. Yeah. I think from memory, mostly in North America, you know, like for example, Astra buying a Fusion, uh, like a satellite propulsion company, or Spire uh, acquiring Exact Earth in Canada. But there's no reason why that's uh, why those add-on acquisitions will only happen in, in North America. I mean, if there's an interesting company in Europe, those companies could could come over and buy up some European companies. That that's absolutely yeah. possible. And, and then and then you will see what what uh, UMN entities. You know, uh, you know, national authorities will will say, you know, in, in terms of uh, you know foreign overseas takeover uh, by by those companies that some of them are really high tech. Arquid being one, for instance, uh, uh, that is going there with uh, working in quantum uh, technologies and, and mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. okay, this is start to be very very strategic. And do you agree yes. with that? Not. And then how the government will react to that? That's that's very interesting. Yeah, fully agreed. And we'll come back to that in, in a second. I just want to point out wearing sort of my head as a former investment banker, the, the other aspect of all of this, the SPAC activity in the US or capital markets activities, right? Because there were some regular IPOs as well, um, one should not forget, is if I compare that to even just one and a half, two years ago, right? Like all of these SPACs that you mentioned, is, is I think it's like 13 just in the last 15 months or so, right? Plus some regular IPOs. Before that, you actually had a very small number of pure play space companies listed on the stock exchange. There were some companies which have space activities, right? Like a Lockheed or Boeing, but then it's like, you know, 10% of sales or something. But pure play, you had very little. But all of, now you have actually, you know, maybe 20 or so, right? Off the top of my head. But they're all listed in the US. So if I look at it as an ex-investment banker, that's also a self-reinforcing effect because that means if you are now considering today listing your space company, you have a already developed capital markets infrastructure, right? Like investors mm-hmm. who understand the sector, analysts who understand the sector all in the US. And uh, I think it'll be very hard for Europe to kind of catch up, to be quite honest, on that front. Yeah, exactly. Because I think that's, that's what we, you know, yesterday I was joking with a friend about talking about data rooms. I'm, I'm not sure a lot of the people understand what it means, you know, due diligence, mm-hmm. the type of due diligence mm-hmm. you have to do and what a data room is if you want to do this type of deal. But in Europe, we have angel investors, we have VC firms. Mm-hmm. Private equity start to be scarce in the space sector, but then banks uh, and public market, then it's even less. And as, as you rightly said, in the US, they have this, uh, I would say more this tradition of public passion capital. You know, people are in pension funds investing mm-hmm. into large infrastructure, you know, uh, teacher pension funds, and for instance, mm-hmm. you know, putting the mm-hmm. money into, into this type of, of, of assets with hoping a good return. And we don't have that that much. But in Europe, we do all start to have um, some uh, ETF that are also coming, you know, uh, so the more uh, specific uh, financial instrument, uh, not in, in, the, in the US, but these exchange trade funds. You have also some, uh, some, some possibility to invest, but those are, are, are more passive. And what we need in Europe is, is uh, there are some SPACs being... Success, Fiat Avio being one, you know, this is mm-hmm, clear, one mm-hmm. of the one of the few one, uh, one of the first one in 2016, you know, after Iridium uh, eight years before. But now we, we need we need to be able to convince this, you know, the family offices, mm-hmm. this type of that, that there is a possibility to, to invest and, and that you can make money in mm-hmm. the space sector. Right now, the money is made by the VC firms with the exit strategy mm-hmm. when they dispack. But in the long run, I hope that some of these very good companies on the market, they will be there are lemons, we will know that, but there will be also hopefully good ones that uh, that are successful in the long run. Yeah, fully agreed. And 
I think in my mind, that's if you're talking about family offices and other generalist investors, it's mostly an education educational challenge, isn't it? Yes, no, definitely because those in Europe, you know, people are. If, if you simply look at at the at the stock market, if you look at the DAX, if you look at the, at the CAC 40 and so on, if you see mm-hmm. the, the way, you know, what made the, the indices very limited tech, uh, if. At all is maybe more IT, uh, but it's, it's a traditional. There's not so much rotation in, 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 the, in the company mm-hmm. listed on the stock market. That means, okay, if you remove Utelsat and SES in, in the Catarant, then it's, it's really you know on the, on the, on the market in, in, in Paris. You have very few people, a few companies that can raise money, and that's the issue. Also, with this in the space sector, you know you have to be patient mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because you don't have a return. It, it takes time to deploy the infrastructure. Then mm-hmm. market penetration is not so easy. But you still see blitz scaling. You see the one web. You see uh, uh, SpaceX with uh, Starlink. It's, the speed mm-hmm. is very amazing. The amount mm-hmm. of satellite being deployed in such short notice. But the same for planet planet of is very impressive. Mm-hmm. 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 But I think if we're talking about this type of business models, yeah, sort of the seed capital may even be fine, right? If you need a few million euros, you might find some, you know, early stage VC funds in Europe. And um, I mean, even something like um, ESA, uh, ESA Aerospace's um, most recent round, right? Um, you know, which started at 75 million euros, I think, and then they had an extension round. So uh, you, you got like a big European VC like Lakestar in there, you know, but that's almost as big as it gets in Europe, isn't it? It's- and also what is what is... That's also something that people, um, I hope, need to realize that uh, there is also a change in the in the VC structure in the U.S. If you look at the big, you know, the big VC firms, they are going into creating massive VC funds that we are talking about billions mm-hmm. of funds. So they they can really go higher than Serie A, Serie B, and they are also really blitz scaling. You know, you know, you, you had SoftBank for a while that was really everyone was saying that that like the biggest one, but now you see. In, in, in some in the Bay Area, some of major VC firms that are growing in size to invest even more. While in Europe, we are still trying to structure the community to have cross syndication because no one wants to do the deal on its own. So you need to find partners to spread the risks. So we, we need to change that. But we have we are good in Europe. You know, we have we have unicorn, you know. Mm-hmm. We have example, you know, D-Orbit is a unicorn, Arcrit is another one, Spire. So mm-hmm. It's it's, a, it's unfortunate that we cannot allow them to to grow really uh, in Europe, but that time will come. Time will come. Yeah, I was just picking up something you said on the size of VC funds because I think many people may not be aware of um, how large or how much some of that has grown. So just as an example, um, Andreessen Horowitz, which is arguably one of the most prominent VC firms in Silicon Valley right now, just their most recent crypto fund, just dedicated to crypto, and they have many other funds, is I think three billion dollars for one industry. And, you know, we wish we would have like a $3 billion space dedicated like that stage fund in Europe or anywhere. Um, but it's just not the case. How, how do you think Cassini plays into all of that that was just announced? Well, I think Cassini has, has a role to play. It will depend the way the way it's structured. But uh, also, you know, just going back to the example on crypto, uh, I think also there are certain technology where there's this FOMO syndrome, you know, fear of missing out and people putting money into yes. that. Space is not there yet, but if people do, do not realize that, you know, in Europe, we are happy when we have a unicorn. When everything goes fine, we have a decacorn. But in space, mm-hmm. we have an, we have an uh, ectocorn with SpaceX being the second most valuable company in the world after the, the parent company of TikTok. So mm-hmm. they are very mm-hmm. successful, but they burn a lot of capital. But uh, you, you can see 
that is, that is really in the US, it's, it's a really a financial arm race. And uh, um, it was also, for instance, you talked about uh, IPOs and mega deals before. And I think it's very interesting that to realize that last year, the second biggest, uh, largest early stage VC mega deal, the second one was done by Sierra Space mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. with 1.4 billion US dollars for Sierra and that's the type of money we are like, whoa, okay, see, granted, they already have product, they have sales, it's, it's a difference. Mm-hmm. But now that's the reality of, with what we have to compete with, is this type, this type of company and uh, how, how to make sure we can work with that. So Cassini and uh, uh, with the help of the European Bank, uh, the European Investment Bank Group, so the EIB and the EIF, mm-hmm. uh, the Commission, all working together. I think there we really need to work together, but also to, to make sure that uh, we provide a good platform to, to do this matchmaking. Mm-hmm. Of course, we should stay neutral. You know, the public authorities have to stay neutral and not pick the winner. Uh, that, that's going to be uh, interesting. But I, I really believe in Europe, it's not necessarily about money. There are other ways where we could be more innovative, where we mm-hmm. should look on the US side. It's on the domain of uh, innovation in procurement. And there, what I mean is that if you see uh, how the crew and car- the cargo and crew resupply service were put forward by NASA, that allowed to, to give money to SpaceX for, for cargo and electric for crew, uh, Boeing for crew, um, Orbital for, for cargo. You see that they purchase services. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, you, that's mm-hmm. what you want. That's what do that. But also they use inducement prices to say, okay, they don't put the, dev- the money for the development costs, but they put, they, 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 they will say, okay, if it works, we give you the money. So it allows freedom of innovation, and especially in, in innovation procurement with, from the NASA side with crew and cargo. And that's what they are doing also with the new commercial uh, station right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what is interesting and that people do not realize, it's not only about technical capabilities, but ask a business plan. It's, it's evaluated along two, metric, two, two, two metrics. One is technical capabilities, a milestone. The other one is the business plan, ability to raise money or, mm-hmm. or the common, uh, com, you know, customers. And I think that's in Europe, we should do more and more. It would not be applied to every programs, but for certain mm-hmm. programs, it could be a way. Or because that way you, you, you remove some of the risks, mm-hmm. you put it on the, on the ultimate customer. But the customer being the government do not necessarily have to do the down payment to develop it as well. So it, it's, it's something that in Europe we, we should definitely look into a bit more. Also be innovative in procurement. Mm-hmm. I think some of that is happening, isn't it? So I, if you take one of the more recent programs in the US, the what's called the commercial LEO destinations, right, which effectively is um, for space stations, right? And now we know that uh, there's the, the, first, the first winners already, right, with uh, Starlab and Orbital Reef. I think I saw last year there was a tender that came, like an ESA tender that came out that sounded very similar, basically looking for people to um, to build space stations. Yeah, no, exactly. I think I think ESA is is really, uh, and that that's one of the priority of uh, the, the new DG, is really to go into this, this commercialization dimension, and uh, it is very important, and it's uh, it's is to to help to create the the, the markets, uh, the businesses, and and provided technical competences of, of, of ESA to be able to help to make sure that we can deliver. But uh, I think we could do more and uh, to stimulate also not only the supply, but the demand. And that's in the US, they are, you will see there are pivoting, pivoting towards instead of uh, developing just the hardware, they want capabilities. And we see that also mm-hmm. with the Space Force. They say, okay, uh, we want that type of, 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 of net, mesh network sensors and things like that. They, they, they are not prescriptive in terms of technology. And I think that's why they're becoming a smarter customer for mm-hmm. the demand. And that's what is interesting. And that's something where 
I would say the, the role of the European Commission is very important and is, is to let uh, we see work with ESA and, and cooperation with USPA, but also help to make sure that the, the assets are being used and that there is a predictability into the into the activities, into you know the services that are a product that have been purchased. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of the Space Force, I mean, that is another sort of difference I see, I guess, between the US ecosystem and the European ecosystem. I guess the US has this additional advantage that you have um, a strong pool of demand, well, financing options, and then also demand, right, from the defense and intelligence communities. I mean, I, I must admit, I always kind of say to myself, well, that's probably something we, we just cannot replicate in Europe, and we should focus on finding something else where we can compete, or is that... I don't know. Do you have a different view on that? Well, in fact, every every space ecosystem is, is peculiar because it's it's you have different players, different environment, mm -hmm. legal regime, and so on. But if you go in the US, you know, when you look at, uh, for instance, if, if you go, if you happen to go to DARPA, you meet with them. It's very interesting the, the way also they they work as an organization, agile, very agile. I was very surprised when we were meeting with them. It's it's that's why I really think it's to become innovative. It's also the organization that has to become mm -hmm. very much. Lean, but lean in the good way, you know, being faster mm -hmm. in terms of processes. Mm -hmm. I think ESA, ESA is really, uh, really doing that, which, which is good, you know, faster time to contract and things like that. But indeed, in the US, there's a lot of, of, uh, of money being put by, by the DOD. Something we'll see with the Space Summit uh, in February if that goes into that at, at the European level. Uh, there was the, minister, the, the meeting of the ministers of defense in Brest uh, a few, few weeks ago where they talk about uh, the importance of space for, for defense. But in the US, there is also something we don't do too much in Europe is to, to look beyond, beyond the horizon. Mm -hmm. uh, because we, we should also stop the, the myth of you know, the entrepreneur having the epiphany, the breakthrough moment. But no, it's incremental innovation. And a lot of this innovation comes in the US from the labs. So R&D labs, research mm -hmm. centers, mm -hmm. university labs. And a lot of the money is going there in deep tech. And in mm -hmm. deep tech, and then after that, they, they have this culture that they can share that with the private sector or spin out different type of companies. But mm -hmm. if you really mm -hmm. see the amount of money that is also going to that layer, and that's maybe in Europe, we don't have that much, you know, free money for blue sky research, where people can, can look into that, uh, you know, future quantum technologies, uh, uh, deep tech, uh, you know, everyone talks about AI, quantum, but there are new things coming on, neural networks, uh, edge computing. We, we need to, to put money into there as well to make sure that we, we catch the next wave because the cycles are getting faster and faster. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was actually was going to ask you about exactly that. So because in the US, you have the situation where people are almost, almost systematically canvassing university labs, right? And seeing what kind of work is going on there and can it be uh, commercialized? I mean, I myself have had conversations with, I don't know, people like in places like Princeton and Caltech. We actually invested in one company where the lab is going to, commercial lab, no commercial lab is going to continue to be in Caltech, right? Uh, Princeton was a discussion on plasma propulsion. Is this something we could build into a commercial system? I mean, do, do you see, and we have, I think it's fair to say some very, very good universities, especially engineering university, universities in Europe. Um, are we using those capabilities enough or what should we be doing on that front yeah in fact that's that's the that's the thing they you know the, the same way right now we discuss you know new space versus traditional space but i prefer to call them incumbents so we should not oppose them but there's also room for research centers for top-notch universities because also different countries have excellent universities other excellent research centers and we should not oppose them, but really try to build consortia that everyone is part of it, because that will create more diversity. And if you want more diversity, 
that will, will come with competition and competition hopefully will lead to a more you know cambrian explosion of, of new solutions new company new startup but we shouldn't we should not forget that without innovation at some point the the pipeline of, of good startup will, will dry up mm-hmm. and uh, that's why i really applaud company like isar coming straight off from from university mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. This, is, this is something that is very interesting in terms of we should encourage more and more this type of things also spin out from the lab and Something I would challenge is we should have more a higher mortality rates of the startup mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because if we don't have a if we, if the mort- the mortality rate is, is too low that means we are not innovative enough or our startups are not innovative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so we're not we taking need, enough risk yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah exactly exactly and then and uh, so because we have successful companies you know, where uh, coming from Europe and we, we really need to look into that. So yes, I would definitely like to have more synergies between the public sector, research agencies, but also private sector industry and startup entrepreneurs. Because in new space, you know, some of the start, we, we still talk about, uh, you know, startups, new space, but is space still new space? You know, they, they have been created at the beginning of the century, the same for Blue Origin. And now you can see that they lead some of the proposals on their own, or they just go alone for major contractors where you have aerospace company being teaming up with the, with the new space in the you know younger uh, companies so that that's also very interesting and i really hope that in europe we could foster this type of cooperation not opposing you know the big ones and and the newcomers but really force them to work together because mm-hmm. we can benefit from that mm-hmm. fully agreed and then so the university angle is a is a perfect segue into your current role as a professor at isu how did that actually happen how did you decide to come to isu so isu, ISU is, is, is the place you know if you want to to be able to to teach, to learn, to, to put ideas on the paper is the place to be. And uh, I was very fortunate uh, to be able to be to be seconded there to, to work on, uh, on space policy, but also entrepreneurship. And uh, since I joined or because I joined, we launched a, a space policy on entrepreneurship lab. So the first time that we have that uh, at IS2, which is really a lab where we, we put together uh, experts uh, from the faculty, you know, some, uh, some uh, very famous people like Walter Peters that's been involved very much into, you know, defining what new space mm-hmm. is, working in there, uh, but also our global faculty into looking at different things, how the, the space policy sector is evolving. So more theory-based, look with the praxis, because that's, we are also teaching at uh, ISU entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. In almost all our degrees, we do electives, we do, uh, because we also have a dedicated uh, space incubator with good companies, promising startups. Uh, we have seven right now. And uh, we, we are working with them, trying to see also, uh, you know, with real, real life experience, what do they need? How do they make, how, how can they grow? What's the issues? So it's really, it's really interesting. And I hope that we will be able to, uh, to have more startup at ISU, but also derive appropriate policy uh, decisions or suggestion to how to improve the system. Because we need, we need, we need to put the hand in more in the system to understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the um, staying on the incubator for a moment. The incubator. This is sort of like what one typically would imagine as an incubator, sort of like for really early stage um, um, ideas. Help them a little bit with mentorship, maybe some capital. Um, I was going to ask physical space. I think there's physical space now again after Corona. Yeah. So indeed, so we have the, you know, at ISU, we have the three eyes up to now, uh, international, interdisciplinary, and intercultural, but I would add a fourth one, which is incubation, mm-hmm. because we have the incubator, so now ISU is the fourth eye, and uh, we have an incubator because we realized that um, over the years, we had more than 110 startups created in 27 countries, hmm. and we realized that uh, some of them uh, met, for example, during the master program, we, we are fortunate to have uh, 
one of the co-founder of Planet, did the master mm -hmm. program. Uh, the Spark team met mm -hmm. at uh, ICO in the master program and had the idea to, to launch a business. But we were like, there was not this home where you could help them, you know, mature the idea because with the, with the course and, and, and the elective we do on entrepreneur, youth space and entrepreneurship, we had them with pre-incubation. We had them to, they have to come up with ideas. So it's not only a business plan competition, but they have to mature, come up with a deck. And then now we, we had them for pre-incubation up to the stage where they're mature. And then they go in, into incubation at ISU. ISU, the incubator right now has seven companies. One uh, very, uh, very uh, successful. And uh, I don't want to make too much uh, advertisement, but... Uh, it, it went out of stealth mode in uh, in Space Tech Expo Bremen last mm -hmm. fall, so it's a lean space, uh, very yep. successful, uh, growing mm -hmm. very fast, uh, really like a like a rapid pace of development. But one of the points that is important, most, almost all the startups are focusing on the data mm -hmm. because we are a strong believer that uh, uh, the data economy is very important nowadays, and will even be more in the future. So we are we are focusing also. Uh, some of the supports into, into that space, if I may say so, um, mm -hmm. into the, the space economy and the, the, the space data economy. And that's also something I'm, I'm doing my also research into that because people do not really understand that is really key. And that will, because that will be on the, the, the basis on which a lot of the businesses gonna be uh, built upon. When you're, say, when you're saying data, do you mean basically downstream applications like people doing analysis of satellite data for various use cases? Okay, yeah, no, I fully agree. That's actually, you know, when we were talking before about getting more, also more corporates interested in space and what the use cases um, can be benefiting those corporates, I guess many, many of those are Earth observation, um, like data analysis use cases, basically. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, now you see um, we have a lot of... Uh... The, the data market is, 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 is booming. You know, our life, our society, everything is about data. And we have now have to find a way to monetize that. And um, that's, that's the issue. We, I, I encourage a lot of the entrepreneurs to look into that because it's not so much CapEx uh, intensive at other domains. You can really have an MVP very fast out and, and test the market. You can also go to, to pitch to investors with a concept. You can do apps. You can do different things, and um, it's and then you can also scale. That's the big issue. You have a product, then you can scale. Yeah. So on that specifically, on sort of downstream data analysis, satellite data analysis, business model. Okay, let me put on my my head as a venture capitalist for a moment and make a complaint here, um, because I agree theoretically this is really interesting. What happens in reality, at least until now, is that almost one hundred almost one hundred percent of the business plans I get on downstream uh, business business models. Is something like this. Hey, we're a couple of co-founders from the space sector. You know, we, we met at uh, aerospace, uh, you know, graduate school, and we want to build something, you know, serving the insurance sector. First question from for myself, what do you know about insurance? Nothing. I, I think that's just not sustainable. And I was starting to see the first exceptions of that, and that's good. But what I would really would like to see is like, you know, somebody who is maybe from the insurance sector um, taking the, the summer course at uh, ISU, learning about space, and then combining that and maybe fi finding some technical person as the CTO for the space stuff, and then building a business which actually understands both sides. Exactly, and that's that's uh, you know, Rafael, that's 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 very true, and that's what we are we are changing at, at ISU. Uh, the way we do, the way we teach entrepreneurship as well uh, in the master program, but also in the summer session program, where we really want to 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 bridge the, the theory and the praxis and really put people together to to think about that. Because, for instance, you know, the, the legal context is very is something very important, but we are not just talking about space law. 
but we are mm -hmm. talking about everything else. Uh, you know, before we talked about due diligence, for instance, but you know, insurance. You know, uh, you, you need to get export control. Uh, mm -hmm. So much, so much things that you need to take into account, and uh, and also for the for the financial people, um, one thing is if you want to be able to to pitch to uh, to startups, depending where, where you are, you are telling a story, but. Mm -hmm be able to sell the story you need to be able to understand what really what you what you're explaining on, on every domain so that the, the you know you, you are often on the other side of the table so you know that you are buying into a project but also a team a person and that's why they, they need to be, you need some glue and, and that's what ICU provides because people you know work together uh, on assignments they they love each other they fight each other but at the end of the of any program they take they can they they will know the strengths and the weaknesses of the colleagues and if they go into business they know they can move things forward and i think that's that's really important and i i really would like to have more more europeans going into that kind of stuff mm -hmm. with the idea also to create a business i think we should also be um, in europe there's this this risk aversion to failure i think it's okay failure is not good we all know that but the, the if you fail what is important is how fast it takes for you to mm -hmm. come back up and uh, and a lot of the entrepreneur will tell you it's, it's very seldom that you succeed the first time but that doesn't mean it's not possible yeah and in fairness that's not only in europe it's, it's more the other way around i think that the sort of places like the us really stand out in the in the tolerance and the celebration of the entrepreneurs yeah, because in, the, in the us there's something there's something people that don't, don't in the us for me, uh, I don't want too much go into detail, but one of the biggest issues uh, or the biggest advantage in the U.S. is not necessarily the access to capital. It's really that they have a, a legal system that uh, that allow people not to lose their, their house, for instance. If you fail, mm -hmm. you can put yourself in bankruptcy and it protects some of your personal assets. Mm -hmm. So the liability is very different. So that means you can take risks, you can fail. You don't mm -hmm. lose your house, mm -hmm. literally. You don't lose your shirt. In Europe, is different. You fail. You mm -hmm. are in a bank close on you. In the U.S., is different. You 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 can isolate the business uh, from um, from from the personal life, and that's something in in, in U.S. It, it's very for me. People do, do not realize that that really helped that as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, agreed. So coming back to, to ISU, I mean, ISU has now been around since uh, the late 80s, I think 1988, so coming up on 34 years. But really the space sector right now is in the last few years is in its moment of transition. So be beyond the things we already discussed, so how do you see ISU sort of transitioning alongside those big changes in the space sector? Well, ISU is is uh, transitioning uh, since since uh, Professor Alain came as uh, the president uh, in September, um, putting forward a new strategy uh, for the organization, um, revamping the programs, um, building up the infrastructure for incubation, creating cutting edge research with the, with the space policy and research lab. Really, mm -hmm. to be the place to be to be to be the hub, mm -hmm. and also to be the hub in Europe because it's, it's very important, but also reach out with the East, with the West, uh, because it's, it's, um, that's the advantage. And, and I think it's, I hope it can be also be at the benefits of, of Europe that uh, we have some of these uh, companies coming in uh, and, and people studying in Europe and, and, and leveraging that. But it's also, uh, um, it's important to realize that uh, we have throughout the years, uh, people that did the, the, the different courses. And then you see that five, six, seven years after it start to be, in good position, some go really literally to space. Some head space agencies. Some uh, some make a lot of money on the stock market. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really, if you're interested to to do to launch a career and, and to go to orbit, literally to go to orbit, I assume the place to be. And I hope it will be even more in the future. Fully agreed. And I, I would add, maybe not even just launch a career, but it could also be change a career, right? Maybe you have some other career already and that may be particularly valuable if you have expertise in, for example, a sector that could benefit from space technology. Yeah, no, a good point. A good point, indeed, because it's... Uh, Space is is is, uh, is becoming mainstream, and we need also people coming from outside the sector in the sector. Uh, because uh, I, w- I will quote uh, you, Raphael. You you said uh, once you know once you enter the space sector, you don't know anyone that leaves the space sector. So we have to make the space sector grow with yes. new people coming in, also with different expertise and experience. And that's that's diversity. I, I'm a strong believer in diversity. So that will make us uh, stronger. Uh- Thinking of university, actually, I should ask you this. So the, the other thing um, that's still, I think, unfortunately, a truth in the space sector is if I look at our portfolio, I think from the top of my head, 20% of come uh, of the space startups are female-led by, by female founders, female CEOs. I think that's actually better than the base rate in the industry. I think I did that analysis a year ago, and it was like somewhere between 10 and 15%. So I'm proud of that. But how can we how can we encourage more uh, female founders in the space sector? Well, this is this this is this is a very very relevant question, and uh, I, I didn't disclose it, but I'm on the board of Women in Our Space Europe, mm-hmm. uh, really also to to promote uh, you know the women careers in space at, at different level. And I think we have a, we have we need we need to do more STEM. We need to work more into the. the we have to have a bigger pipeline. Uh, hopefully, to have a good retention of, uh, of good uh, female scientists. We need also a good work-life balance. But uh, we, we need a couple of good figures. And, and I'm really happy to see that uh, ESA, for instance, now we have a three director that are uh, female. We have Elodie uh, Geraldine Naja, uh, and we have mm-hmm. also Simonetta Kelly, which is which is great. So mm-hmm. three, it's, uh, it's very good, and uh, it's, it's important. We need we need more more successes. And I hope that also for the upcoming calls for astronauts, we will have a couple of uh, female mm-hmm. astronauts uh, mm-hmm. because we need that uh, to, to motivate the young girls as well so that they can identify themselves to, to say that you, you can have a career. And then if they study into those, those domains, STEM, but also, you know, business and things like that, they will realize that you can make a good career, a good life in space. And, and that will be the benefit for everyone because, you know, having a, a woman as a leader, Although you can see on the on the stock market, sometimes it make a difference, huh? but the way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's even there's even some academic research on that. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, to give a, um, a shout out at this point to, to Professor Pascal Ehrenfreund, who is really a, sh- a shining example of a female leader in the in the space sector. Okay, but on, on ISU, if people want to know more, we'll put all of the um, the links in the episode notes of the various programs, the master's program, the summer program, what's called the space studies program, and um, executive courses. Right? Do I forget anything? Yes, and there will be also uh, in February. Uh, and uh, uh, ISU, uh, Discover ISU Day that is planned on to be uh, an event spread across uh, across different time zones. So it will be, um, there will be a time zone dedicated for, uh, for Asia, one time zone dedicated to, uh, to Europe, one to, to the US. And I, I say that because I know that some of, uh, you know, you have a listener uh, around the world, but it will be an, an opportunity for, for people to listen into that about what ISU is doing. It's on the 19th of, uh, of February. There mm-hmm. will people be able to, to learn about the programs that you mentioned, the details, how can I get a scholarship, what things like that, talk with alumni, and that's the, the good. That's a good way for everyone to get acquainted and also uh, look into the registration for the SSP program in Portugal that is coming up. Uh, it's uh, mm-hmm. going to be a great, great event, and I really hope uh, that we'll be able to to meet and do that uh, on a, you know in person. But there's also for the one that cannot travel, don't want to travel, there will be a digital online 
SSP as well. So there is no excuse uh, to to miss to miss the opportunity because space is moving fast. So if you're interested to join the in the space sector, you just jump on board and join us in in uh, in summer. Yeah, do it now. You, I promise you, you you won't regret it from my personal experience. Good. Um, Nicola, let's finish up. Let's finish up on a note of futurism. Space sector, the next ten years. What do you think are some of the exciting things that might happen? What What are you excited about? What are you worried about, if anything? I'm I'm uh, I'm excited about a lot of things. You know, the race to the moon. You know, uh, mm -hmm. we will go there. Uh, progresses uh, in in different type of of application. Being able to uh, to have data ubiquity uh, with different services. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. But at the same time, you know, if you realize that um, since uh, the dawn of the space age, there was about uh, 11,000 satellites launched. We had 10% last year. So mm -hmm. if we continue to have this speed in the next five to 10 years. We will have an issue, so uh, we, we need, uh, you know, uh, it, it's becoming congested, contested. Uh, I'm not mm -hmm. talking about the asset test, but we will need uh, to be able to to make sure that we can protect the space environment uh, to make sure that we can really develop the space economy for the benefits of everyone, because we need space to monitor climate change. So, mm -hmm. so we need space. We need space, otherwise it's, it's going to really, the future will not be as, as bright as I hope it will be. So uh, let's let's keep space uh, open and, and secure for everyone and so that we can we can uh, enjoy it for for the future generation but i really hope that uh, people will take risks and uh, and launch new 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 program new missions and uh, so it's gonna I, i think it's gonna be the i hope the next 10 years is gonna be even more uh, interesting than the past decade that was already very uh, new fully agreed and some of those uh, potential problems you mentioned specifically the space debris space traffic management we will once more require entrepreneurs who can help us uh, solve those problems yeah no exactly and that's that's you know, for the entrepreneurs now, there are a lot of a lot of new 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 business potential that can be put on the table. Good. So, and from futurism, it's a short step into into science fiction. Um, any favorite science fiction of yours? Um, I they Ministry of the Future is, is the last mm. book uh, that is yes. uh, from Robinson uh, that, that that I looked. It's very interesting because it's it's, it's uh, not so much necessarily the plot, but the because I read it with the with the policy wonk angle to see that they were able to, to propose a new structure of governance to deal with a major problem. And that's something for the space sector. We, we need to think about that because, you know, we have purpose, we have different things to do, but um, more and more we need at some point to come up with a new, with a new uh, element. And, uh, and also for me in the space sector, we need to look at uh, the activities of, of different uh, people and especially uh, uh, there are good people like uh, uh, Miss Ostrom's that won the Nobel Prize uh, of the economy that looks into the uh, the common pool resources and uh, so they, we need we need also in the space sector to look at science fiction but also other domains from other topics to see how we can really change mm -hmm. the policy discourse and things like that. But yeah, science fiction is very important. But that one, it, uh, this, the Ministry of the Future, it's interesting because it's, it's not about tech but about the the innovation mm -hmm. governance i find it yes. very interesting and even so um the, what nicola is talking about a ministry of the future so that's kim stanley robinson the, the same author as for example the mass trilogy so you know a very familiar science fiction author but it's about climate change which is one everybody it has a very disturbing beginning but then it becomes really quite interesting and i agree with you nicola it's, it's the the governance structure what, what i thought was also really interesting and i don't want to Give, give away too much, but it's also how they try to solve it on the economic side, which includes even a new currency. And I leave it as exactly. that. Exactly, and, and that's that's the stuff that we should look into. And, and I'm looking forward for you know 
that we talk about net zero in space. You know, we need you know, to talk about negative externalities. We, we need to change the way we talk about, especially ESGs and stuff like that. If you want to raise money, we need to change the way we talk about it. And, uh, but that maybe it will be the topic of our next podcast. Yes, yes. And you just gave me a brilliant idea. We shall try and invite Kim Stanley Robinson on the show. That, that would actually be very interesting. But Nicola, this episode has been an absolute pleasure. And you know, I hope we will be continuing to collaborate in many ways at ISU and the space sector in general. Thank you very much for all of the things you, you're doing, you have done at ASI and ISU. And, and yeah, we can do it again sometime. Thank you, Raphael. Thank you, thank you everyone. So I hope everyone will stay safe and, and motivated. Well, that's to it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.